You want to go ahead and read something for us, Craig? Alrighty. Commuters had traveled over the bridge for nearly 40 years. Its gleaming paint job and slightly swaying motion were points of pride to the locals. Silver Bridge, they called it, crossing over 2,000 feet of the Ohio River, linking the U.S. Route 35 from Ohio to West Virginia. Every day, nearly 4,000 vehicles would make the crossing, passing 105 feet above the 40-foot-deep frigid waters. At about 5 o'clock, rush hour, a loud crack echoed over the bridge, swiftly followed by the groans and shrieks of twisting metal, and for a split second, nothing. The silence was shattered as huge lengths of the steel supports came crashing down and the bridge seemed to snap like a cracker. Each span of the bridge twisted and fell, sending the cars and their terrified occupants downward to their deaths. In less than 20 seconds, the entire bridge was completely destroyed as horrified onlookers rushed to the shoreline to try to help. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the 1967 collapse of the Silver Bridge. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their context, implications, and any related sidebars we get distracted with. I'm Greg, head cascade failure analyst for Relative Disasters Group. And I'm his sister, Ella, co-chair of the Bridge Suspension Safety Committee here at Relative Disasters Engineering. Thanks so much for that horrifying story. And uh, this is our 50th episode. What? So No way. Yeah. Uh, insert party noises here. I just threw a I whole guess. handful of glitter and confetti up. I wish you could see it. It's so festive in here. It's going to be so hard to clean. Oh, my computer's acting funny now. I wonder what happened. <laughs> uh, 50 episodes means it's our golden episodes. jubilee. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're not talking about gold. We're talking about silver for this one. Um and I want to start by... Uh, that was, that was <laughs> such that was a nice terrible segue. segue. That was a terrible segue. I specialize in bad segues. That's going to keep you up at night. Okay, go ahead. I, I, am the, I am the director of poor segue choices here at Relative Disasters Industries. Don't sell yourself short. So yeah, it's our 50th episode. This is uh, We've been doing this for 50 episodes worth of things, which is pretty okay, I suppose. It's a little over one year. I will say this is this is more episodes than I thought we would do when we started yeah. doing this yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Two, maybe three, and then nobody'd want to listen to us, and here we are. Hey. So thanks, folks from uh, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's really impressive that people. Yeah, I, w- I want to give a, a a shout out to our new listeners in Sri Lanka. What? Um, welcome. Amazing. That's fantastic. Uh, so. One of the things that I love about our wonderful, wide, weird family uh, is that we have a lot of people with esoteric expertise, which gives us a lot of varieties of interests. Ella and I have an uncle who's a marine biologist who specializes in sharks, which has certainly contributed to my lifelong fascination with them. And my lifelong fear of being eaten by one. Yes. Our father's love of trains sure comes in handy when we're talking about steam engines and 1800s engineering. And uh, he sat in on the Casey Jones episode, which was wonderful. Sure did. And you know we're going to get him back to talk about our next railroad disaster because there are so many. Yeah. And there are so many good ones. It's so Uh, dangerous. Okay. 
And so for this episode, I reached out to our uncle, who is a retired administrator of bridge design. And I've got to say, having him for a resource for this was incredibly helpful because I am not a bridge engineer. Mm. And I was having a really hard time wrapping my head around the physics of how all this stuff works. So he's enjoying retirement, so he declined to be recorded, but he was happy to spend an evening answering my questions. And my my big thanks to to our uncle uh, for helping me understand how this stuff works. This is a uh, really difficult collapse to understand. I read yes a little bit about it and immediately said, you need to call our uncle. <laughs> yep. This is not something either one of us are going to understand. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't get it until he 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 did a really good job of explaining That's it awesome. to me. So hopefully I will do a good job of explaining it to our dear listeners. I'm sure you will. Uh okay, so background. Uh the Silver Bridge was constructed in 1928 by the American Bridge Company. Uh sorry, is that a real yeah. company? Yes. It, it, I know it sounds like It sounds like, like Acme. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. Acme Anvil Company. Okay. Yes. Uh the Acme Anvil Bridge Company. It's a little hyphen there. Yeah. So it was a two-lane I-bar suspension bridge, which, including the approach, spanned 2,235 feet to cross the mighty Ohio River. Small sidebar here. Mm -hmm. Um, The word Ohio was the Seneca word for this river, which translates roughly to good river. I just, I like that. Foreshadowing? Well, it's a good river. Sure. Does a good job of being a river. Yeah. Goes from place to place. The bridge was nicknamed the Silver Bridge uh, because it was aluminum painted, which is pretty cool. It was not made out of aluminum. No, no. It was made out of mostly steel. <laughs> they just painted it. But it was it. painted with aluminum. Yeah. All right. Which well, is pretty cool. I have to say, that's a very attractive color. Okay. So a suspension bridge is a type of bridge that uses cables suspended from towers and anchored in the ground to support the deck of the bridge, the the part that you actually walk or drive over. Right. Famous examples of this are the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco and the George Washington Bridge in New York City. Modern suspension bridges are made with steel cables, which are hundreds of steel wires wrapped around each other to form ropes that can support just crazy amounts of weight. Now, I thought that was the only way you could have a suspension bridge was to use cables. That's what I thought, too. Because I had never heard of I-bar bridges, but that's what the Silver Bridge was. So uh, they built the Silver Bridge using I-bars instead of steel cables. So an I-bar is basically a long, flat piece of steel mm-hmm. with a hole in each end of it, okay? So think think of it like a giant steel popsicle stick okay. with two holes on either end, Okay. And then you run a pin through each of those holes to an identical I-bar on the other side of it. Okay. And that's what you make your chain out of. The The best modern analogy is actually, think of it as a gigantic bike chain. Okay? Okay. You've got two sections of a bar connected by a pin through the I at either length of the bar. Mm-hmm. And I-bar suspension bridges were a tried and tested method of construction by this point. They were well proven in Europe. And the Silver Bridge was to be the shining American example of this design. I'm still trying to get my head around how this chain works. Is there any kind of backup for this for this section? Usually, yes. In the Silver Bridge, no. Oh. And that's where that's why it 
collapsed. Doesn't it seem like a lot of weight to put on? Because you're putting the weight on the pins, right? Not the not the bars. Well, the load is 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 stressed over the the bars, not so much the pins. Oh, okay. And remember that. And remember that it's distributed. So having all of these things in a chain means each one only has to support so much weight. Okay. It also means though that if there's any disillusion of the chain, the entire bridge collapses because without those without those suspension pieces to hold up the deck, once one piece goes, the whole chain will unravel and as we'll see, that's pretty much what happened. So redundancy is the single most important safety feature of bridges. It's right. simply the practice of if something fails, there needs to be something else in place to keep the bridge from collapsing. In modern suspension bridges, this is accomplished with the steel cables. If one strand, if one strand of steel wire in the cable snaps, mm-hmm. the system doesn't care because there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other wires to take up the load, right? Sure. So I-bar bridges are supposed to have redundancy in the form of multiple chains of I-bars. Right. Like, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because as we all know from the motivational poster, a chain is only as strong as its weakest (laughs) link. As its weakest link, that's right. So you would want to have at least two, right? So, for whatever reason, the Silver Bridge wasn't built this way. Mm. The Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol, Great Britain, uh, which was built in 1864... Uh, has multiple parallel I-bar chains for redundancy. So in their case, the I-bars are smaller, Mm -hmm. but there's like a row of of a whole bunch of them, and then under that there's another row of a whole bunch of them. What the Silver Bridge architects seemed to do was sort of trust that the design would hold. So, (laughs) Honey, I know that's not what engineering is. I know. I'm starting to sweat just listening to this. So were they planning for like what how much pressure did they think the bridge was going to be under? Is that the part bridge of the could support no, actually it wasn't. The bridge could support a lot of weight. Okay. Um at at the time that the bridge collapsed, it shouldn't have collapsed due to the weight, basically. Uh, a lot of people did put forward the theory that um and I saw this repeated in a couple of sources mm-hmm. that the the bridge didn't really keep up with modern vehicles so when the bridge was built in 1928 the vehicles that were driving on it were like model t's <laughs> when it collapsed in 1967 the vehicles that were driving on it were multi-ton semi-tractor trailers right right however the way that the ibar construction works is it can support that kind of weight and it can support it pretty well okay but I knew there was a other things coming. other things had to happen sure Supporting massive amounts of weight that they didn't even know existed at the time of building the bridge definitely didn't help. Let's put it that way. Okay. So in mid-December of 1967, at this point in time, the Silver Bridge was carrying thousands of vehicles a day. And there were no signs that there was anything wrong. The bridge had been inspected multiple, multiple times over its lifetime. Um, It had originally started by being inspected by the people who owned the bridge. And then that inspection duty was taken over by the state government. Mm. And every inspection on the Silver Bridge passed. Okay. The Silver Bridge did have one sort of odd feature to it. 
it would sway every now and again. Yeah, but, and most suspension bridges do, and they're built with joints to allow right. for that. Yes, and this this one was sort of a strange thing. It wasn't. It was built with support towers that allowed a certain amount of sway mm-hmm. because that was the best way for them to manage the load. Okay. the The Ohio River is not a super forgiving river. I mean, it's Let's good. It that way. It's a good river. <laughs> it's a good river, according to the Seneca. Uh, but it is it. It it doesn't have a lot in the way of bedrock for you to sink gigantic support pylons into. Oh, okay. One of those rivers. Yeah. It's about, at this point in the river, it's about 40 feet deep. It's pretty deep for a river. It's it's fairly, it's deep enough, let's put it that way. Okay. So it's the middle of December. Christmas is coming. People have all sorts of presents and stuff strapped to their cars. And... On the evening of December 15th, at about 5 o'clock, the bridge collapsed. Was there any kind of warning? None. Was it swaying a lot? It was swaying no more than usual. A lot of people who drove on the bridge every day basically always said, especially after the bridge collapsed, mm-hmm. they they would say, you know, we always felt like it was unsafe. But the swaying wasn't really the problem. Well, obviously something was wrong with it. Yes. One of the eye bars cracked and broke. Okay. That put extra load on its paired eye bar, and that, of course, caused it to twist and fail. That snaps the chain, mm-hmm. and the bridge's equilibrium is lost. In less than one minute, some eyewitnesses said it took only about 20 seconds. Oh, no the entire bridge collapsed into the Ohio River. Oh, I hate this. So the bridge is about 105 feet off the water, Mm -hmm. and many people simply died on impact, particularly because one section of the bridge twisted. So the cars went off first, and then the concrete and asphalt and the other stuff that makes up the the deck of the bridge fell on top of them. I don't like this at all. No. This is like a nightmare. Yeah, it, it's an absolute nightmare. Um I know I get worried driving over bridges. Like I have a I have a I have a minor bridge phobia. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in New York for a couple of years and every time I went over the GW I was just not okay. Do you know what I noticed about the GW bridge once when I was crossing it in a moving truck? There are holes in it. Yeah. You can like that... look down and see the water. Yes. That's to allow airflow, I believe, so that oh, sure. uh, strong winds don't, like, damage things. <laughs> I assume they had a reason. <laughs> but it's the most no, unsettling thing. No, they didn't thing. just not notice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very unsettling. And it's unsettling. like a creaky kind of swaying, very long, yep. very congested bridge. I think the creepiest thing I ever saw, though, was one time I was going over the GW and there was a car, a couple cars in front of me. It was like a really nice long black sedan, mm-hmm. and it had one of those joke like bloody arms hanging out of the trunk. Ha! But I'm driving out of New York, and there's like a black sedan with a bloody arm hanging out of a trunk. Oh, and this was and this was peak was, Soprano years too, wasn't it? And it was before I knew that that was like just a thing you could buy at a novelty store. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm glad I'm glad cell phones weren't like a super accessible thing at that time, because (laughs) I probably would have called somebody on these people. Serves them right. 
it's not funny, man. Well, anyway, it's funny to some. All right. So, 31 vehicles were on the bridge at the time it collapsed, Hmm. and they carried 64 people into the freezing December waters. Just so horrible. Did anyone survive the fall? Yes. So, the people that didn't die on impact with the water, Mm -hmm. or weren't crushed as the sections of the bridge fell on them, or weren't pulled to the bottom, or weren't swept downriver, did manage to escape their vehicles. Um, And... People on either side of the bridge, you know, obviously traffic was stopped. They just abandoned their vehicles and rushed down the embankment to try to help. All told, 46 people died. Jeez. And the remains of two were never found. Which means that 18 people survived it? It seems incredible that anybody survived it, to be honest. To fall from that height into water that cold and that fast and that deep. And then to have the bridge fall on top of you with with no not only with no, no time warning to of react, any kind exactly i mean there's I, there, there's no I just hate this so much it's all of my phobias yeah it's bad it's really bad the thing that the thing that struck me is like it didn't matter that you didn't have any time to react because there was nothing you could have done right which i guess is okay in a way you the don't bridge, have a lot of time to panic if you were on the bridge when that piece of ibar failed you were going in the water like there wasn't a heroic step on the gas and steer your way to safety or leap for no you were it was too quick it was just too quick this is so horrible oh god okay so i i would like to take a small sidebar here and yes, and please. talk about how to get out of a car that is being submerged in water okay so seatbelt um, yes undo your seatbelt well, you want your seatbelt on for the impact, right? Sure, but you don't want your seatbelt on when you're trying to get out of the car. Gotcha. So the first and most important thing is uh, that you have to not panic. You have to keep your breathing steady because you're going to need to take a deep breath at, at some point. Okay, you lost me. Sorry. Yep, I understand. <clears throat> the second thing is don't try to roll down your window because the pressure outside will be too great to move the window unless you're still pretty much at the surface okay what what you need to do is you need to wait until the pressure inside is equalized with the water pressure outside and then you should be able to simply open your door and swim upwards and as everybody who's ever taught a swim safety class knows the best way to know if you're swimming upwards is release a small bubble and follow the bubble because it's very very easy to get turned around underwater and you can find yourself swimming downwards when you're trying to swim up Mm. and for those of you who like being super prepared for these sort of things or live near bodies of water that are too close to roads uh, they do sell little impact hammers that you can use to shatter the glass of your window uh, in case of emergency so really yep Um, well that sounds handy they're very handy and this stuff is very scary stuff I have never been in a vehicle that has been trapped underwater, but I know people who have. And fortunately, both of them were able to uh, be okay afterwards, but it's just about one of the scariest things. Yeah. Um, And of course, the people in this case were at a massive survival disadvantage because there was the fall 
and there was the frigidity of the water. The water was an estimated 44 degrees that day. Oh, man. Uh, which is hypothermia in less than, I know it's less than 10 minutes. I'm not sure how long it would take, but. It would be pretty fast, yeah. The river wasn't frozen, right? It was nope. just very cold. Nope, it wasn't okay. frozen. It was flowing. In fact, one of the drivers of one of the trucks managed to make it onto the roof of his truck as it was being swept down river and uh, was, you know, calling for help. Hmm. Some of the survival stories are pretty ghoulish a man managed to swim to safety but his wife and infant daughter were trapped in the car uh, and never made it out um, a truck driver team one of them got out one of them didn't and th the pull of the water is one of those things that really contributed uh, to the people who survived the fall sure uh, it, it's very 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 hard to get enough it's very hard to get away from a, a massive vehicle that is falling to the bottom of a river. Um, the, right. The, you're just, yeah. Creates it's a, a little it's, suction. It's, a, it it's something of a miracle that anyone survived this. Or the, 18 sounds like a lot higher than I was expecting, yeah, to be honest, yeah. when you were first talking about this. Yeah, that, that's, that's... To me, I can imagine surviving on my own, but I can't imagine trying to get other people out of the same car. It seems like you wouldn't yeah. have enough time. No, there's Especially there's no if they time. were injured or incapacitated or whatever. Yeah. And you didn't oh, yeah. have your little impact hammer in the glove box where yes. you had it in the glove box the last time you looked, but now but, it's missing and yep. nobody knows where it is. Yep, yep. That's my family. <laughs> so what exactly happened on the bridge? So a massive examination of the wreckage was taken afterwards to try to determine the cause. And it was all traced back to a very, very tiny flaw. And this is the part of this that makes me just so sad. There was a 2.5 millimeter crack on the inside of I-bar number 330, which was on the North Ohio side of the chain. Okay. This crack was due to a tiny impurity in the steel when it was made oh no no way to find it from the outside no way to see it no no physical you know symptom that it was there at all uh, and the defect was exacerbated by corrosion fatigue over the nearly 40 years of use mm -hmm. there was no way for inspectors to have found it without disassembling the i-bar assembly so which they weren't doing on which they regular inspections. You couldn't right? do it. It would it would mean disassembling the bridge. <laughs> like that's Sometimes the you thing. gotta do what you gotta do, Greg. So it, it it it's one of those things where if you had had redundancies, if you had had multiple lines of I-bar and mm -hmm. then maybe another line below that, you could have taken this one piece of I-bar apart to inspect it. But when it's handling the load, you literally <laughs> can't take it off to inspect it because if you do, hey, the bridge collapses. Yeah, this is just a very optimistic design to me. And the thing about it is it doesn't seem particularly, what's the word I'm looking for, hubristic? Like, it's it genuinely seems like they thought of everything. They just didn't think of this. And 
the thing that drives me nuts about it is that it doesn't <laughs> seem like it was a cost-cutting measure. It doesn't seem like it was a, oh, we don't need that, you know, kind of thing. It seems like literally they figured that the bridge just did not require redundancy in the form that other Ibar bridges required. So there's no villain here, which is very unsatisfying. Not really, no. Uh, and they're, th- these are huge pieces of Ibar. Like, mm-hmm. they were two inches thick each. And remember, this is two inches of steel. Right. And a, with a face of about 12 inches. So we're talking okay. a foot across and two inches thick of steel. So they just figured it would hold up. I mean, at the time this thing was built, I get it. I genuinely get it. No, I mean, that sounds like a really strong, solid piece of chain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's these massive lengths of solid steel that, mm-hmm. that really should have held. But because of this one tiny impurity in the steel like think about it as like one little bubble almost Mm -hmm. leads to a 2.5 millimeter crack that nobody can see and the whole bridge comes down it's just it's mind-boggling i hate it i I don't like it i don't like this yeah however one good thing did come out of this the the collapse became the impetus for the national bridge inspection standards okay good because the next yep. question i had for you was how many other bridges did the american bridge company build like this and are any of them still standing well i have i have an answer for both of those uh, Yay! one one and no uh they had built a sister bridge to the silver bridge up river From this one. And that one was uh, shut down for inspection after the Silver Bridge collapsed. Thank you. They did not find similar things. However, because this was so horrific. Yeah, their brand is done at this point. Yeah, they they the bridge was eventually demolished in 1971. So make me a nice steel cable bridge from now on. Yep. And so those National Bridge Inspection Standards are still in use in the United States today. Uh, they are federal requirements for bridges to be inspected on a regular basis, and they have... You know, I feel slightly... Obviously, this is still nightmare material, but I do feel better that there are federal rules and inspections and someone is looking at bridges. Yes. I understand that this accident could not have been prevented by an inspection, but... yes. It it could have been prevented by a modern inspection. There there were the, Don't they X ray parts now? <laughs> I feel like I've seen someone on a bridge doing that. Yeah, okay. yeah. There are tools that they have now that they didn't have then. Um and so one of these led to a an inspection of a bridge in Maine mm-hmm. uh where they actually caught a massive problem before it became a problem. Hey fixed it. And to see that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I like these non-disasters where the people doing the infrastructure find it and fix it and nobody gets hurt. Love it. Yeah. So under the National Bridge Inspection Standards, uh, bridges that are of a certain age need to be inspected so often. Bridges that mm-hmm. are made a certain way need to be inspected so often. There, there are so many requirements now that it makes it harder for these sort of failures to happen. However, not impossible because there are 
thousands and thousands of bridges in the United States, and there are only so many people who can inspect them. Yeah, and we're a very wet just, country. Just I... this past year, we had a massive bridge collapse in Pennsylvania. Yep. So, not great. Was that also a suspension bridge? No, that was not. I think that was a truss bridge, but I'm not sure. Oh no, that's the sturdy kind. They're all sturdy when they're built right. That's the problem. <laughs> or when they're but not the allowed to decay. But the silver bridge was built right. Come on. Well, yeah, it's that's the thing. It's uh, the silver bridge is like the worst. Ex- it's like the worst example because they couldn't have caught it. Like, back at the time that they had, they could not have have caught this mistake. And even if they could have, it would have been nearly impossible for them to have fixed it. Uh, Mm. Anyway. All right. Uh, So now we have to talk about one of those things that never fails to get me in a bad mood. People trying to cynically turn a profit off of a tragedy. We're going to talk about Mothman. Okay, I have to say, though, that is not a new phenomenon, and we have seen it before in, I think, every episode yeah. that we have ever done of this podcast. Happy 50th. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it really bothers me when it's this kind of like random, unexplainable, almost kind of really sudden tragedy. Yeah. And then someone comes along and is like, you know what? There is yeah. money to be made. Yep. And that's the thing is when when these massive tragedies happen, no matter what the tragedy is, people want to know why. People want to have a reason. We need to know that there was something else going on. And that is an extremely human thing. And it is honestly, it's at this point, it's probably part of the grieving process, right? Like you just you want sure. answers. Well, I think it's just such a familiar feeling to people that we kind of soothe ourselves by assigning meaning, even if there isn't yeah. any meaning to be assigned. And we don't, we don't want to be helpless. That's no. what it is. We don't want to feel helpless. So Because it's a scary world. There are a yeah. lot of things that could kill you suddenly. Yep. And we want to know why. So, and we want to know we want to prevent it, I think. is the, <laughs> We want to keep ourselves safe and we want to keep anyone else who's depending on us safe. So, Gray Barker was a writer who wrote books about UFOs. He's the one who came up with the concept of the men in black, for example. Love it. Uh Uh-huh. So his family has gone on record and his friends stating that Barker himself didn't actually believe in the paranormal and only wrote the books because he needed the money. I'm sorry, his friends said that? Oh, yeah. His his family and friends have gone on record stating that. Like he, he Friends, was... if you're listening to this, please know that is not what I expect of you after I have a sudden bestseller. Uh so Sorry, in, go ahead. in nineteen seventy, Barker wrote the book The Silver Bridge, where he spun a few news stories about unknown animals spotted at night in the Point Pleasant, West Virginia area. Sightings mm-hmm. that were days, weeks, months, in a couple cases, years apart, into a single creature he called the Mothman. See, yeah, I just think as a cryptid, a moth is the perfect choice. Because moths are weird if you scale them up. Like right. if, and if also, you have like, a human-sized moth, that is unsettling. As a harbinger of disaster, it works really well because moths are out at night. They kind of like fly around silently. Some of them are really big and scary. Like I... <laughs> I think he was right on with Mothman. It's a very evocative kind of design, if you so, will, for a cryptid. So Gray Barker made up this concept of Mothman. And I love it. I think I would read a ton of books if Mothman was the featured animal. Or well, 
So, well, that's the thing, though, (laughs) because this didn't really get codified until five years after that. So five years later, author John Keel wrote his own Mothman book called The Mothman Prophecies. Yes! Dueling Mothman. Yeah. Uh, which took... I would read that book. I would read the heck out of that book, too. Yes. I mean, Dueling Mothmen, just two Mothmen going at it. <laughs> uh, and his book took Barker's premise and ran with it. The Mothman sure. Prophecies was made into a film in 2002 starring Richard Gere. Um, and it is a deeply unsettling idea. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's wrapped in a real tragedy is... I I personally don't like that. See, I have no problem with people writing fiction, obviously. I have a slightly larger problem with people writing fiction, claiming its original research, and presenting it as fact, while people okay. are still grieving over the losses of their loved ones, okay? In the wake of tragedies, some guy always comes out of the woodwork to sell you their one true, this is what actually happened, don't listen to what the man is telling you books, and I find capitalizing on tragedy to sell a book distasteful. If you believe in cryptids, cool, great, awesome, have fun. Don't tell me Bigfoot set off the Halifax explosion or Godzilla sank the Titanic. Okay. Okay. First of all, (sighs) Bigfoot is not on anywhere near Halifax. He's a West Coast creature. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, I had a perfectly good rant going there. And every time I hear Bigfoot, I just have to jump in. Because yeah, you don't no, know, Greg. You, you are you are a Bigfoot defender, and I, I respect that. I respect Bigfoot that. and I are BFFs. Yeah. B BF BFFs. B nope. Bigfoot BFFs. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Anyway. We don't go around murdering people. Mothman's a sandhill Unlike crane. Mothman. Right? It's a sandhill crane. And okay. So it's a sandhill crane. Like, have you ever seen one of those guys? I have. And that's the description of Mothman is a sandhill crane. Like that's all I, I, I'm having a minor aneurysm over this. <laughs> okay. They really are big. They, they are have glowing big. red eyes. They yes. make weird noises. They flap disconcertingly. All right. They can be aggressive. If and, you see one, you'd remember it. And while they're not native to that area, they do migrate at that time. Like it's so frustrating. And and there's a famous black and white picture of a Mothman. Uh, yes. Uh, and it is obviously an owl carrying off a snake. Like okay, it is. okay, you say that. And then you look at the picture and go, "Yes, it totally is." Okay, it's an ambiguous image. <laughs> <laughs> to some, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> and it's taken on a really bad camera with really bad film at mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. I know. That's that's why it's the perfect cryptid picture. Okay, because it, it can could be totally whatever be you want it to be. It can be whatever you want it to be. A man-sized moth with is little skinny legs, a snake, <laughs> little skinny legs, barefoot. Yeah, um, which is what I choose to believe. But if sure, you look at it course, a certain way, sure, course. an yeah. owl with a snake. Sure, absolutely. if you want to be boring about it, if you want to be boring about it and remove all the wonder from your world. Um. <sighs> anyway, steal my joy. That's my job, dude. Uh. <laughs> So, in 1969, uh, the Silver Memorial Bridge was finished about a mile downstream of the original, finally reconnecting Ohio and West Virginia. Now, is that a suspension bridge? It is a cantilever bridge. Oh, uh, that's fun. Done a little differently. I don't think they could have gotten away with building another suspension bridge, even if they'd done it with the cables. I think it's just too... uh, 
too much of a bad memory. Um, sure. And a memorial to the dead of the Silver Bridge collapse stands in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Which also has... A statue of Mothman. And he has been working out. He is not skipping leg day the way he was in the photograph. <laughs> he is extremely buff. It's a weird looking statue, man. There are people I'm gonna out there who I'm going to have my picture have... taken with it someday. That's Fair my dream. Enough. Okay. Well... <clears throat> That's... I'm sorry. I know that was hard for you. I think you did a great job. You saved Mothman for the very end. You did not do a one-hour rant. You really limited yourself there. <laughs> and just... you let me say that that uh, Mothman is fun. But don't cash in on something that just happened, you know? Mm. Like, whenever these big things happen, there's always these people who come out there and in the middle of the grieving process, they're like, Hey, you want to know what really happened? And that well, is when did just the first book come out? 1970. And the collapse was in 67. Oh, Oh yeah. yeah. That's, that's a little too close. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a huge believer in the too soon kind of thing, but that's too soon. Sure. Like don't, Okay. Well, this is getting very awkward. But we're not cynically swooping in two minutes after to give our hot take on which cryptid killed a bunch of people. It was Mothman. Anyway. He's uncontrollable. And that's the story of the collapse of the Silver Bridge and why redundancy is the watchword of bridge designers. Redundancy is good. three rows. Three rows of all all bridge if you stuff. actually you know, just build one bridge inside the other so if one collapses <laughs> the other one can catch it i feel like that's probably not gonna work either no we call it a hug a hugging bridge but the uh i will say there are pictures out there of the clifton bridge mm -hmm. and it's really oh, yeah, cool it's beautiful. to see those eye bar designs yep so yeah it's a huge it's a much taller bridge than you think it is when you hear the date it was built yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at it and you're like, whoa, somebody actually went up there and built that. Yep. There so. is a good spot for my alien conspiracy. There you go. So, All right. that's it. Oh, that is truly horrifying. Thank you. Yeah. I'm never leaving my house again. <laughs> Although we give you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to shame us publicly... And you do! Why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Well, it's been a hard winter, Greg. Sure. You and I deserve a vacation. Okay. We're going to California, Greg. Okay. We're going to go vacation at the largest lake in California. Doesn't that sound luxurious? Mm. We are going to the Salton Trough, and we're going to take a look at how the Salton Sea was created and then slowly turned into toxic sludge. It's an ecological Ooh. disaster. I love it. That sounds amazing, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. <laughs>